You are now listening to the JFDI Podcast. We're on air. Perfect. Rock and roll. Hello. Starts here. <laughs> Hugh, um, do you want to do the intros and I'll preface it a little bit with the fact that you're a bit punk yourself? That's very kind of you to say so, Graham. I, I feel like I grew up, I was born in 1966, so punk was happening, you know, when I was kind of entering my teens. Mm-hmm. And I, 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 I chickened out. I had like a strap on, Mohican. Uh, I'm glad you added the last part. <laughs> it was like it wasn't, I was never a punk. Really. It was just like, you know, for parties. <laughs> right, that, right. You call it strap on, strap on Mohican. Yeah. Is that such a thing? So, oh, well, there is now. <laughs> you didn't seriously wear one, did you? <laughs> Only for parties. Uh, just fancy dress. Exactly, exactly. For anyone who's listening wondering why we're talking about Mohicans, um, with us in the studio is Hazel Savage. Hazel, uh, and we're going to talk about the differences between running a band, which is something Hazel used to do as mm-hmm. a punk rocker, yep. uh, and running a startup. <clears throat> when we started this podcast, Graham's fantastic invitation to do it, we thought we'd take the motto that JFDI, my uh, startup accelerator I co-founded to heart, the motto of that was entrepreneurship will always be difficult, but it doesn't have to be lonely. And we wanted to go behind the, the story of the businesses to look at the people who are trying to make entrepreneurship happen here in Asia. Graham, you did an interview with Hazel. Yeah. And we'll Some make a link to that. Ago, yeah. Yeah. And you said to me, she's one of the most interesting interviewers I've had. What, what are you fascinated by and fascinated <laughs> by about this woman? Uh, it's the pants. The pants. Yeah, she's got, yeah. I like the leopard skin pants. Yeah, and the shoes. It, can we have a look at the shoes? Although just in England we call them trousers. trousers so yeah. specifically no, my trousers. Just your run of the mill gold cowboy boot. Gold for cowboys. Today. Yeah. What's that movie where he wears gold cowboy boots? There's something to do with music, something to do with David Bowie or Mark Boland. I think you're from that world. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And and this is, I was saying before, this is my kind of toned down. This is, you know, corporate punk rock these is days. Um, Sold out. That so, was also a thing for punk, isn't it? The Selling acceptable out. Face well, yeah. Punk. But you know what? The, um, the new motto that they say these days in the music industry, because selling out used to be, you know, the, the ultimate crime. Yeah. And now, you know, if you get like a sync deal, like it's called a sync deal. It's not, you know, giving you music to a brand or an advert. It's called a sync deal. And now people say, if you haven't sold out, it's probably because no one asked. (laughs) (laughs) So on that journey, you've done music, you've done business. What's it like pulling a band together compared to pulling a startup together? Um, So... Starting starting bands, and I still play, not as much as I would like, but I do still play in a band in Singapore. Guitar? Guitar. Lead? And uh, No, more of a rhythm guitar. Thrashing rhythm. Yeah, yeah. Three chords and a fuzz box? L- exactly, yeah. A little bit style over substance. That's uh, always been my, uh, three my, chords. my methodology. Three chords and a fuzz box. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and so, and I, but I got my first guitar when I was 13. And I've all, and I've pl- been playing since then and have always been in bands. I think, you know, I just remember... And I tell this story often because it's relevant to how music has changed in the creation of music, which directly ties into the company that I run these days. But, you know, back when I was 13, I got my first guitar. It was like 500 pounds. And then I convinced my friend uh, Felicity, Itty for short, that she should be the bass player um, because her brother played bass. And so he had a bass. So therefore she could borrow it and she could be in the band. And, you know, she yeah. was like my best friend. So that was, you know, come on, yeah, let's do it. And then, and then I think we put an ad up in like the local music store for a drummer oh i like this, this then, is how it, this, this is, good, is the, it? the myth isn't this, it well, yeah this is and then you know this like a couple of people replied and you know we and we sort of met a few of them some of them couldn't play some of them could play ended up with a, a guy called robin young local guy played the drums and then it was the three of us when we were at this point i'm probably 15 and then you know we we sort of 
played our our first show because my brother was in a more successful band he's older mm. and uh and they would you know someone dropped out of a slot at the last minute so oh well hazel started a thing you know so they're not any good but it's only the opening slot and you know i think we had like five songs and one was a cover so we like didn't even really have enough need. material yeah, yeah so need. we just that was that was the first ever show that i did just back in the uk um and i suppose the the comparisons that I would draw, well, directly on the business, which is now if someone wants to release music or start a band, you don't have to go buy a 500 pound guitar. You don't have to convince your best mate. You can go on any number of free online apps or garage band or fruity loops and, you know, drag and drop, uh, in virtual instruments, um, collaborate with someone in the US, you know, hey, could you just drop a vocal line over this and send them the file? You know, so the way music creation has changed, which means there is a lot more of it. Um, but also the the bits that I would then compare to, to starting a company is that that sort of hustle, that sort of just mm. getting people to, to join at the, the very first stage, you know, like, I guess, you know, I'd only been playing guitar for like a year. I definitely wasn't any good, um, you know, and a lot of the people that joined our company, when I spoke with Graham the first time, you know, we'd already hired some people. We weren't funded. And, you know, I kind of look back now and go, I can't believe they joined when we weren't funded. What a ridiculously risky thing to do. Um, but then, you know, they, they believed in it and I believed in it. So you kind of sell them on the dream and they, they kind of join the band slash company in that respect. How important do you think, I'm, and this is me being a bit sort of uh, cheem, as we'd say in Singapore now, standing back you know, with <laughs> a big theory here. So I have this theory that, you know, there's this kind of story about bands. And if you watch the Queen movie, did you see the Queen movie? Graham, did you watch that one? I haven't. It's on my list. It's I'm kind of, yeah, trailing a little bit. Yeah, and I watched it on a flight, um, and it's you feel so manipulated in many ways because it's kind of it's exactly what you'd expect as a story. You know, there's kind of the man who became Freddie Mercury mm. kind of blunders into the band, and they're just kind of a bunch of regular guys, and blah blah blah. blah. And then there's a whole series of adventures. You can kind of there's this story that we already know. You know, and, and it goes several ways in rock and roll. There's one route that kind of ends up with you choking on your own vomit, like Jimi Hendrix, mm -hmm. you know, and no disrespect to Jimi Hendrix, but if he hadn't died young, then probably he wouldn't be, you know, so iconic in some ways. Well, yeah, I mean, and the, the classic example is always, um, you know, uh, John Lennon, who, mm. you know, famously died young. Paul McCartney's still around and gigging. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I still think he's brilliant, but he doesn't sort of have that I legendary iconic status because he's still around and active and mm. recording music there and having an opinion. Wings though. Yeah, well they, I <laughs> there mean, you go. Yeah, well if you like wings, my husband's a big fan, so uh, Oh I go. Yeah, yeah. So uh, And the frog chorus, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay, now that's too far. <laughs> <laughs> Which we did explore for JFDI Asia as a kind of oh, a company yeah. song, but just we came away from that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> for anyone who hasn't heard the frog chorus, just Google it. Yeah, Look for it on YouTube. Yeah. My first ever single. Right. Oh, really? Right. Yeah. right. Not that I bought. Right. Yeah. You didn't spend your own hard-earned pocket money I on did, it. yeah. You did? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Why not? Why hey, not? I've, exactly. I've, Why I've, not? That's Why the other not? important thing. Don't, no judgment from here. Yeah, exactly. You know, <laughs> 40,000 songs uploaded to Spotify every day. There's something for everyone there now. Exactly. <laughs> Which is where your business comes in. That's true. That's true. So as I say, and it goes back to this, this kind of uh, volume um, that, you know, back when... Uh, you know, pre pre smartphone, pre sort of ubiquitous internet. You know, when I started a band, it was ridiculously hard to get other people to join you, but also the money you needed to 
to even cut a very basic demo you know buy your instruments hire the studio time pay for all the rehearsals and now you know you've got you know really talented kids in the US or Indonesia just like rapping directly into a smartphone mm. and then just uploading that online so there's a kind of interesting thing isn't it is that there's a process of discovering band members have to discover each other and mm-hmm. come together at a time and then we won't go into huge depths about your business, but do you want to just tell us what it is? It lets people discover music? Uh, yeah, so it's basically a new form of being able to listen to large volumes of music at scale and being able to search, sort, tag, playlist that music to make more relevant recommendations for users or in the case of a sync company, you know, identify that piece of music to, to license quicker. Right. And sync being S-Y-N-C because you'd be synchronising the music to a movie or a corporate video or something like that. Yeah, short for synchronisation. Fantastic. So going back to this thing about them bringing the band together, Mm. um, the story, it's, does, has the nature of bringing a band together nowadays, given that it's easy to actually do the kind of making of the music part, do you think musicians are becoming more business conscious and does everyone, you know, when a band comes together, does it think of itself as a music startup in any sense? Um, I I don't think they, they think of, themselves that way because you know music and and bands are still predominantly the young Mm. you know the 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 sort of the late teens early 20s and those people tend never to take themselves too seriously i'm thinking more about like uk rock bands in this statement because i guess the opposite is true of um like hip-hop and rappers in the u.s they absolutely see themselves as business mm. individuals, mm. but then they tend to not be. They tend to be a solo operator, um, and the the image and the and the online presence and the you know uh, Instagram stories and the merchandising is a much bigger part of, of of that story in the US than it is of say you know the local London rock band. Right. Um, so there's it's it. I think it differs per genre, and I think that it probably differs again. You know, in China and K-pop in in uh, Indonesia as well. So because there is some very you know, rigorously produced. There has been for a long time. Mm. There have been mm. sort of studios, uh, you know, with Phil Spector's Wall of Sound, and then you know, kind of got K-pop bands that put together. Uh, the Monkees were a manufactured band. The, you could draw a parallel maybe between those kinds of record companies or those kinds of producers mm. and startup accelerators or incubators. You know, uh, yeah. I mean. I, I'd never thought of it that way, but I guess it's true. And especially having uh, come through an incubator myself, which is where I'm at my co-founder. Um, and, you know, I, I didn't really know much about incubators before I joined one. But now now I've been through the process and this was a, a, t- a couple of years ago. I see them everywhere. There's mm. so many of them. And I feel like the corporates are now just latching on to the mm. idea of starting their own. And for anyone who hasn't been part of one... Tell us about which one you were part of and what did it... Sure, sure. I um, I joined Entrepreneur First, EF, uh, here in Singapore. And they are a pre-idea, um, pre-founding team incubator. So you were the token punk. So that, Well, you actually, and i I got to tell you this story because people always say like, oh, and how did you join EF? And I, I go, well, you know, I was looking at my next role and thinking about what I'd do next. And, you know, I met them for a coffee and I thought, yeah. And that is true. Not that isn't a lie, but... Actually, the real reason that I joined EF is they called me up and they said, oh, you know, it was cold call. We'd love to have you join. And I was very sceptical. But they said, in the next batch, we've got James Brown's drummer. What? Eric Hargrove. And I, they were like, he's joining. He's jo- he lives in Singapore. They were really? like, he's joined. Funky drummer. Yeah. And I Is was he still just, alive? 
yeah. Well, James, I mean, James Brown's James Brown isn't, but James Brown's drummer oh, is still going, um, still, bang younger, awesome still playing. And so I was just like, I got to meet this guy. Yeah. So like, <laughs> I pretty much agreed to to join, thinking. I just got to meet Eric and I did meet Eric and he's amazing. And uh, yeah, we're friends now. So I kind of, and, and next thing you know, I've got a blooming company that now I've got to run. Yeah. <laughs> As I understand, awesome. Entrepreneur First kind of matches people together. And then if you get a business that's viable, they give you some money and they accelerate you through a sort of three month period. Is that right? Yeah, pretty much. Uh, so as I say, you come in as a, they, they call themselves now a talent investor. So mm. you, you come in as an individual and then the idea is you meet someone else with a company compatible skill set from within the cohorts, you workshop the idea together and that's the business that you start. Isn't it interesting? I mean, in the old days of the record companies, you'd have these people called A&R men, wouldn't you, that would Scouts. go around and list, yeah. Yeah, scouting yeah. for talent. Yeah. Are they doing anything like that? Is that what that's about? I mean, partially, yeah. There's a, a great stat. I'm sure the, the team could correct me, but because they... Their, their acceptance rate's only about 1%. They take the top 1%. So I'm what they call a domain expert. I've worked in music for 14 years. You know three chords and I you got have your three own fuzz chords. Yeah. I got the gold cowboy boots. They mm. were like... You're in. You're in. Um, and then my co-founder is incredibly technical. He's been coding for 17 years. So they take what they consider to be exceptional individuals in different fields. And um, I think they 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 say they about 6,000 people apply per cohort. They take the top 100. Um, and essentially the amount of hours that goes into sourcing that top 100 because they interview all 6,000. It's something like it, if you wanted to go for a coffee with every single person that applied, it would take you two years mm. to like meet everyone and, and then and find you'd never someone. Sleep and never because you'd be drinking so much coffee. Well, exactly, yeah. I mean, Which would help you meet them because you could like meet them 24 hours a day. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. Sort of, I've seen similar sort of stuff coming out of Antler and they're talking about yeah. themselves as a talent scout yeah, now yeah. and they're saying that they're you know the trouble I mean it sort of goes back to your story about the, the band it's like you know you started a band with your mate or somebody mm. you knew who just happened to have a guitar yeah that sort of immediacy which when serendipity you're sort of, that's yeah, the word isn't it I mean the, the Lennon McCartney story and all yeah. that sort of stuff mm. that the fair but the, the, the challenge is, is that it doesn't create necessarily the best groups of people because whilst you may have the trust there you might not have the best person in the business mm. and that's where I suppose EF and Antler say look you don't, a lot of people start a business because you, you went to school together or you knew somebody. They just happened to be ready right now, available to become a co-founder. But are they the best person for you to do the job? And that's yeah. what they say, yeah. you know, in Antler, we bring people together. And I want to drop a story. in the, I think this is super interesting. There was, there, was, there was a team I mentored, four guys who knew each other in the UK. This is before I moved to Singapore. Mm -hmm. And they were all mates <clears throat> who'd known each other like 20 years. They all played football together. And actually the company had stalled because it was like they were such good mates that none of them wanted to kind of say, we're missing a skill set here. Mm. It wasn't really possible for someone else to join that group of four you know, friends who were so tight. Yeah. It was like they created a self-limiting thing. And right. I always think sometimes as a, as a producer, I mean, I used to say when I was a TV producer, you bring together talent, ideas and money. Yeah. And sometimes the person that brings the idea isn't the right talent to execute it mm -hmm. or is part of the talent. Yeah. And and that's so true because even when I joined EF, you know, within the within the first sort of few days of meeting anyone, there was a couple of other other Brits in the cohort, and there was a you know few. Don't want to work with them. Don't want to work with Brits. Well, I, but I love the Brits. We were rolling on the floor, laughing, telling jokes. We've all got the same humour, having a beer, and I was like. 
like these are absolutely the people I want to be friends with, but yeah. I don't want to start a business. Mm. Just seeing as you got to you have a different objective. Yeah, just a little aside. As um, people who are listening to this, so we were actually kind of going through this whole Brexit mess in Britain mm. right now, and I, I learned a fascinating fact that one of the things that the Germans hate about the Brits is when things get really serious. Brits will crack a joke, right? You know, make a right. cup of tea. I'm just as a joke, exactly. It's just when like people need to be talking about something that's important. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, they'll crack a joke. Yeah. But there is something. In, there's something significant in that, isn't there? Because when you build a business, it can't all be jokey japes. Mm-hmm. And actually, I assume building a band too. If you're serious about going somewhere as a band, mm. sometimes you've got to have difficult conversations. Yeah, I think. I think that I was just thinking about this as you sort of made the comparison between starting a band and a startup. I think. What Graham said, the immediacy it, with bands, it used to be, it used to have to be the people that were in mm. the in the town, in the room that you already knew. And it used to be the same for companies. It used to have to be if you knew someone. And I think the the model people are replicating is now with the, with the internet and, and collaboration tools, you don't have to have ever physically met the person and or be in the same country. And the same, the same with the, um, with the, with the startup as well. You know, you can be brought together with another exceptional individual who just, you know, um, success shouldn't be limited to the people that you, that live in your hometown. So virtually, Virtual startups are definitely a thing. Digital nomads mm. is definitely a thing. And it sounds like virtual music is also happening in a big way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Isn't absolutely. that interesting? And then, but you don't get so much sex and drugs and rock and roll together then, do you? Would <laughs> well, it be the same? Go, you just on your go, own. No, go, on your go down own, exactly. the pub on your own. Yeah, just like <laughs> what the make sit, your own sit fun. There, sit there with your iPhone. <laughs> How sad is that? How well, sad, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty sad. But then, you know, um, being a, a 35-year-old punk rock is pretty sad as well. Most of the time, it's just like me watching Netflix, petting my cat. You know, it's like... <laughs> rock it's and not, roll. If yeah, only they knew. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah I mean... What do you call your cat, though? Have you given it a punk name? Oh, no, no. Well, we adopted her. So oh, okay. so she came with a name and she totally already knows it's her name. So we didn't feel obliged to and change it. she got it. like an attitude. Well, she got three legs. Awesome. Do you know what I mean? So like, awesome. she's like... Badass. Yeah. Yeah, just, you know, a bit different. (laughs) (laughs) Like its owner. (laughs) Well, yeah, but for anyone listening, I have got both my legs in case anyone was curious. She's got three three legs too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That's why the pants are so extraordinary that we commented on the beginning of this. And if only there was video on this uh, this interview Yeah, well, maybe there shouldn't be. (laughs) The pictures pictures are much better on podcasts. They are. We were painting pictures. Yeah. I I want to ask a question um, about being different. Okay, because we, we've sort of gone quite deep into like the, the previous interviews we're talking about. Um, obviously, there's a, the focus is on women and being different as well. So, I mean, it's easy for a man to be different in a, in a world dominated by men, you yeah, know, yeah. historically, because I think we're rewarded for being a little bit riskier. Uh-huh. Yet, I think women are also more prone to the the opinions of their peers, other women as well. So, being different, either you're sort of like we see in Asia, like entrepreneurs not just women but asian entrepreneurs tend to be more fringe because mm. they've they've sort of said okay these rules don't work for me yeah therefore i'm not part of this thing in the middle i'm going to go and do my own thing yet now it's sort of if you go back to europe it's creeping isn't it like entrepreneurship's becoming much much more mainstream isn't it? Yeah. yeah so the people doing it are less and less weird <laughs> yeah so yeah. but women doing entrepreneurship is a subset so i'm wondering does that make women entrepreneurs naturally more weird because they're a subset of a subset <laughs> Um, maybe, but actually what you were saying about the, in London, about it narrowing, that's definitely true because in the same way, I I forget the comparison someone made, but they were like, you know, oh, you know, in, 
five years ago or ten years ago it was like the 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 to cool the cool job to have in london was as a trader or a banker right and now now what are the rich kids doing oh i want to be an entrepreneur like you know mm. it's like on you know it's just whatever's the latest mm. kind of cool thing mm. that most people seem to be doing there's a bit of that going on in london i personally feel um but in terms of being the subset of a subset um i guess it it's the the only like you know even at EF I think out of a hundred people in our cohort I think about ten ten percent was were women. Um, it's pretty good. I mean, all hats off it? to I think so for you. And we we yeah, JFDI we used to get like five percent of applicants were female. And we yeah. went out of our way to try and I did everything right. I could. We actually ended up with again about ten percent. Yeah, I think. I think the applicant rate at EF when I joined was low. It was about six percent applicants were female, mm. but the acceptance rate for women is higher. Mm. And I and I put that down slightly to the the women that are starting companies um, are mostly like. And this is the same when women apply for jobs. <clears throat> If we've applied or we've tried, we're pretty confident we can do it. Yeah. Like you get less, you get less risk takers. You know, I and even when people apply for jobs, you know, I'll get a guy apply for a job, six years experience. Um, you know, it needs six years experience. He's he's just fresh out of uni, but thought, F it, I'll apply anyway. And then, you know, you've got a girl that meets all the criteria, except, oh, I hadn't heard of that one piece of software you mentioned, so I didn't apply. And this is you what it's that happened earlier, didn't it? Was yeah. Imposter syndrome, right? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I was thinking this, uh, for anyone who's not listening, it's this concept of imposter syndrome, the idea that I'm not worthy of this, I don't feel real. I just wanted to share a personal story, actually, which is the, the first time when I joined the BBC, I was working on this science show called Tomorrow's World, mm-hmm. every week, 10 million people would watch we went live on the first week and i had this huge urge to kind of run in front of the cameras and go hello mom <laughs> and it's like and it was like this kind of urge to kind of die because i didn't actually feel worthy to be there i thought just i'm just this bloke off the street i'm 24 what am i doing working on a you know show that 10 million people are watching and somehow i don't know whether it's conditioning or whatever mm. did your parents give you the expectation as a guy graham that you should not feel that because no, i do no. sense that many no. of the women i don't think are, they do i don't think it's, it, it's sort of much more subtle isn't it from mm. the moment the you grow up and they give you toys yeah and the toys are like army and guns and <laughs> blowing shit up right rather than caring and nurturing you know it, it those subtle nudges and then then those those, those examples you say about that mm. somebody applying for a job that so did your mum at a young age did your mummy make you a punk rocker then uh i i have pretty rock and roll parents i do um <laughs> and they you know i always said as well like my parents just whole ethos of growing up was like there wasn't really any or many rules did you bite the heads off your dolls no not at all not at all no i was like i'm I'm no aussie but like yeah so i just i grew up like um just incredibly loved and supported and being told i could i could do anything and whatever i wanted to do they would support me right and it didn't it didn't matter like anything would would look like success um and just having that that back that support and that belief um but also as well one of the other things i was going to tie in was like being an extrovert so you know even of the the 10 women out of 100 that did the last df cohort i would say majority of us were like particularly outspoken and confident and on, on more on the extrovert scale than than not and do you think that will change as it becomes as there are more female role models because i know some fantastic introverted brilliant women Mm. lovely women who don't fit that mold 
Yeah. But, but for example, they'd never come on this podcast. There's someone I yeah. know who I did ask to come on this podcast because she has an amazing story to tell. Mm. Perhaps one day I'll inspire her to bring on, but she doesn't want to. Yeah. Doesn't want to share that. I think. Um, I think. I think business in general is like. Uh, a little bit over proliferated with extroverts and I say that as someone who my co-founder is is introverted my husband is an introvert and I I go out of my way to make sure that we we have both within the company um you know I I want to I want to be the extrovert that sees the value in introverts as well um even though I happen to be an extrovert myself so I think you really like with all things like hiring for gender balance like hiring for um uh diversity balance you have to hire for kind of introvert extrovert balance as well and you're talking about culture there again mm. <clears throat> your how big is the company right now uh the 16 of us right do you when when did you start thinking about culture and getting that kind of balance right when did that become an issue uh well i i thought about it from the very beginning right the very beginning um and that's because having worked in uh multiple different companies and uh, the reason for leaving my last job was culture related um, that I just, you know, I've always had in my, I've had some absolutely amazing bosses and I've had some absolutely horrific bosses. Mm. And, you know, I've had the best schooling in that way of what does and doesn't make a good company. And, you know, speaking to my co-founder very early on, we were just like, here's what it's going to look like. Here's what success looks like here's what a good culture looks like do you think um, women are more mindful of that stuff than men i'm just gonna what do you think you've, you've talked to a whole bunch of i speak for women yes what do you think <laughs> well, this in is what women think <laughs> <laughs> we go, we're just we're just setting him up here we're be quiet over there <laughs> Let, let's, between the men here <laughs> Cackling in the background. She loves it. Out of these hundreds, uh, of these hundreds of startups that you've read, that you've talked to, Graham. <laughs> yeah. Do you, you know, would you say the guys are more or less mindful than the women on balance and reflective? You know, that well, I like that word reflective. You know, aware yeah. of themselves and stuff. What do you think? There's a lot of sample bias, isn't there? Because I mean, your point was really interesting that for the women to get to this stage, they have to be a certain type of woman because mm. they've at the gone. Moment, yeah. yeah, at the moment, because the, the barriers, they've, the walls they've walked through are, are more in number. Therefore, there are more, you know, the survivor bias, isn't it? Whereas yeah. it's, easiest for our, it's easiest for us men to get funding, which is statistically true, mm-hmm. to get onto an accelerator, all that sort of stuff. So I think there's a bit of survivor bias there in the sense that the women we are seeing come from a, a certain group, right? So there's that. As to the point about culture, I don't know. I mean, everybody's thinking about it now. And I see, I mean, obviously people like Tony Shea from Sappos are writing a lot about yeah, culture. Totally. Mm. It's, yeah. it's a guy, right? So, mm. you know, I don't think it's something that's predominantly women. And I don't know. There's a lot of talk about women have certain skills. Men have certain skills, mm. right? I think it's more a case they're sort of rewarded for behaving like that, right? Mm. So, and... The flip side as well, and I, I hear some interesting feedback from investors that sit here and they're talking about investing in men, investing in women. And they're saying that men tend to have a certain predisposition to a certain type of startup and a business model, mm. which is like, we're going to do this and it's going to, you know, we're going to blow away all the competition and we're going to, you know, billion dollar app, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah, it's yeah. like, that's the, mm. the very macho way well, of doing what, it. And one of my investors said the same thing to me. One of the investors that is in our round said 
they they preferred investing in female CEOs because we don't um, bullshit and exaggerate when it comes to deals. Like, so I, I won't say a deal's done till it's actually done. Whereas a, a, my male counterpart might be like, yeah, tell them it's done. It'll definitely be done in two weeks. So just say it's done now, <laughs> you know. And so they said that, you know, the, the perception for this particular investor is that women are just a bit more right. um, upfront, yeah. a bit more upfront and honest. There's less like, um, you know, blowhard behavior it's just like this is what it is i'm i'm not we don't we don't tend to exaggerate or um yeah. or, or blow yeah, it up agree. in that way yeah no, i was just wondering thinking? whether i wonder you know we talked about uh women being conditioned into a certain set of behaviors i wonder if there is a you know there is still a stereotype of a kind of hoodie 24 something travis kalanick you know kind of mm. kick the door down yeah and that's true in many professions it was true in investment banking it's true you know and, and guys you know, if you're looking for role models, <clears throat> uh, I'm trying to think how many reflective, men. <laughs> mindful men, you know, that we have sort of positive role models in entrepreneurship out there. We've it's got two sitting here. Oh, well, <laughs> there are, exactly. And, you know, isn't it great that we're not just fathers, but we're sharing, we're giving the gift of our deep insight to the yeah. world yeah. through these microphones right now. And there's a woman listening to us yeah, attentively. I'm enjoying <laughs> it. It's good stuff. <laughs> Well, I, in, but interestingly as well, because I've re- I'm I'm a member of like a, a women entrepreneur only um, uh, forum online, mm. started by a couple of the girls that did the YC combina- uh, a Y Combinator mm. um, uh, incubator. And what's interesting is, and I do you do, you do see that I do see you do see the horror stories in there. But I must admit, the entire time I was fundraising for this for the seed, I never got asked if I was married I never got asked if I had children I never mm. got asked if I planned to have children I didn't get asked you know how serious are you I did, or any of these things but I you know maybe I, I got lucky and I just met all the all the best investors mm. but also I think the type of person that I am because I'm so forthright and I you know come across as I absolutely know what I'm talking about and I'm very open as well like I, I'll, I'll say you know my, my co-founder's uh, married to a to a local woman i'm married to an english guy i'm very upfront i'm very i'm quite an open book so maybe they don't have to ask but also i think i'm aware that just because i didn't hit any troubles it's probably because i am the character that i am and i do behave the way i behave but how does that how how can i help the next generation who mm. are introverts or aren't as confident or do have children so- or you so know, can, I do, story. can I do a quick name check here for, for, for girls in tech? We, mm. we met because you were pitching an event organized by the lovely Leanne Robos, who's a fantastic friend and inspiring to many female entrepreneurs. Yeah. Um, so as two guys, when you girls kind of get together and you like talk about tech, what, what, do, you, you know, what, do, you, what do you actually talk about? Well, I tell you Are what you happened. Are you say girls? Uh, yeah, she said I'm, girls, so I'm, 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 fine. Girls. I'm fine with the term girls, although it's completely loaded. A Russian developer came up to me in my last job and said he'd just been yelled at for saying for calling a woman girl a girl. Right. And he came to me and said, Hazel, what's the correct English? Right. And I was mm. like, oh, minefield. Because he said in it Russian, in right? Russian, mm. there's just one word for uh, a woman up to the age of about 50. And it's you can use oh, it for really? a kid or for a teenager, for a 20, 30s. Wow. 
and uh, and and he was like, so I'm looking for the British equivalent. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, you'll be delighted to hear there isn't one. There isn't, yeah. is there? Yeah. So like you know, because woman sounds a bit like that woman, you know, yeah, yeah. and girl sounds a bit like you know, speaking down. Curly whirly. Um, yeah. So he said, so what would be correct? And I said, well, I said, take a look over there. Uh, Lauren, who we work with, who who is a woman uh, in a red dress. I say, if, if rather that you couldn't say that woman, you couldn't say that girl. The correct English way to say it would be, you see over there in the, in the uh, red dress, Lauren. Mm. No. She's the one you want to speak to. So she, you would use all the words to not say the word. So you could say that person of femininity. Yeah, it's a mind. I'm I'm a little bit scared to be honest, because especially if you're in a position of like you're in a public position and like you have a certain media profile, you'll be careful what you say. And I think like you you try and say, well, I'm just going to be a good person and act out of human like values. Like you try, yeah, but you will say things from time to time, especially if you're in a situation like this where more men come onto the show than women. Yeah. why aren't you doing more to promote women? Mm. You know, and it's like, well, I think the best way of promoting anybody is to tell their story, right? So mm-hmm. people like you coming on here now and telling your story yeah. will inspire, like you say, how do I inspire? It's that. Yeah. I've now got a role model. Right? So is there anything that men, you know, the kind of discussions that you have when you get together for girls in tech events mm-hmm. or whatever, is there anything about the way those organize, those events are organized or the themes that you talk about or the way discussion takes place? Is there anything that men can learn from that? Um, I was just gonna say some of the one of the things I love about uh, she loves tech and I and I sorry and I got I, it wrong. Oh my god! I, I, she loves tech. I've been saying girls in tech. Oh, sorry. She loves tech. Did I say she loves tech earlier on? I think you did. Yeah. I hope I did. Well, oh I, knew, I knew what you meant, so you <laughs> yeah. probably did. Well, playback. <laughs> Live playback. Uh, no, I'm kidding. So we're talking about um, she, loves, yeah. she loves tech. So I first met Liam when I did a. She did a. They do a uh, pitch event for female-led companies, um, mm. which doesn't mean that the, the female founder has to pitch, but one of, or, you know, one of the founders has to be female, or it can be uh, a non-female-led company, but building specifically a, a product that benefits women. Mm. Um, so you know, there was a, a Vietnamese app at one of these pitches uh, that are, that's a free chatbot healthcare app for women in Vietnam who can't afford access to healthcare. You know, great idea. There isn't a, a female founder, but it's 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 part of the same ecosystem. Uh, so I, I kind of met Leanne originally through the pitch event. I love that she is putting together an event that highlights these opportunities because it, it's a less crowded space if you narrow it by this dimension, which is 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 great and has been beneficial for me for sure. And then she invited me to speak on a panel recently, and I was just going to say one of the things that's in some ways unremarkable about it is that, and I've spoken on a lot of panels, uh, all all women or or mixed, and it's not that different. We don't necessarily focus on women's issues or the difficulty of being a female founder. You know, I think the last one I did, it was it was focusing specifically on AI. So we would be talking about how you communicate to a market about AI, how you found a company, um, how you get a role in this industry, um, the, the different elements and the, the uh, philosophies and, uh, you know, moral aspects behind artificial intelligence, none of which really play into being a female founder specifically. Mm. Um, so sometimes, and again, I, I always think this might be my bias, but it I never it never feels any different to, to mm. sort of speaking at a, a mixed event. So I want to ask a question now. Uh, not just um, would there ever be a time when 
it's not necessary to have mm. female-only entrepreneur meetups. Should there ever be a time when women don't feel comfortable meeting together? I mean, is there? Is there a? Can you imagine the culture of entrepreneurship changing such that um, it just won't be any big deal whether you're a man or a woman? Um, I hope so. Um, and I think you know all you would do would just be like look at look at the stats um, and and at, at the point where you have like complete equality and there are, there are the same volumes of of women. But I, as I say, I could imagine that happening. Mm. Like when? I mean, it's the same with like um, male or female CEOs, right? Mm. It's there's still mm. more men. It's the same with um, if you look at like university entrance for I think it's medicine. I think there are more men or there's always, you know, certain more difficult or advanced fields that have been more men and, and women are starting to come up. But the change seems very slow. Mm. So I could imagine a time when it wouldn't matter. But I don't know the stats are ever going to get to the point where it, it won't always be a minority. Mm. I feel like it takes a long time. Mm. It would be nice if, um, you know, at the moment you get gatherings of entrepreneurs grouped together because they're all interested in AI. Mm. You get groups of entrepreneurs because they're all interested in travel. Yeah, maybe it's perfect. Even if there was a lot of equality, it's perfectly okay for a bunch of people to come together because they're all women. Why not? Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. and it's just another way of categorizing people. It doesn't necessarily indicate anything no. about business. And it's or, and I think actually one thing, uh, especially in the um, in the the forum that I'm part of, that is all female founders. Uh, we you know not so when I come together with Leanne, we don't talk about this stuff. But an online sort of forum that can be anonymized is is different. You do get. Uh, you know, a story, I've fallen in love with my co-founder. What do I do? Uh, I'm being bullied at work. I have four male co-founders. What do I do? Um, does anyone else just feel really lonely? Um, yeah. I'm worried my product doesn't work or doesn't fit. What do I do? Um, and sometimes, a lot of the times these questions are asked anonymously. Uh, they're definitely not asked in women's groups face-to-face. -face, and they're definitely not asked in mixed groups that are virtual, even anonymized, because I don't think you would get the response that you wanted. Mm. Whereas, like, it's the community I'm in that is all women entrepreneurs online is nothing but supportive right. and helpful. Um, and the I'm also in an online forum um, from the incubator that I came through. And uh, there's one guy on there in particular who's got it in for me a little bit. And he'll he'll write little shout out yeah shout out for uh, i won't name him but <laughs> shout, out, shout out for the guy who leaves little snippy comments whenever i say anything because you're a woman do you think no i think he um no but i think he would be unfortunately one of those guys who thinks he's a feminist um but he's just um i basically he used to, to everyone everyone who listens will know who i'm talking about but he's not in this country thankfully um but he used to just basically spam um one of the forum threads with like his Twitter feed. He was using it as like a personal Twitter feed update. Oh dear. Um, and he would post bizarre. He would often post like stories of like sexual assault where the man's been arrested or something that you think. And I was just like, why is he posting this here? This mm. is, I don't mm. want to read. I don't come onto a business forum to read about this guy going, I get women because I just posted an assault story, you know? And so I, I messaged him privately and went, you know, maybe set up a separate channel for your tweets. And then mm. if people want to follow it, they can. And he was just <clears throat> incandescent with rage that I had made that suggestion that perhaps he... Uh, not use one of the main channels as his personal soapbox, and then and then would call me out publicly 
after that for not supporting the cause well no just just um you know for being the being the forum police mm. he was wow. like oh you i thought you said we couldn't post it and i was like oh, shut up it's tough that i find like <laughs> shut up I'm, man not I'm, you him shut yeah, up <laughs> i'm glad you are standing up i find it is t- is tough isn't it i mean in this this age where we don't know especially if we're from a generation slightly older who have who don't sort of like know really what's going on like in mm. social media so much like when hashtag me too hashtag whatever yeah we don't know I, I mean you know I don't watch Game of Thrones for example so I don't know what happens in the world out there yeah. people talking about so I see all this stuff going on I don't know Ooh, should I have an opinion about this should I say something yeah. and you see this sort of like vitriol happening in these yeah. forums and I think people get scared off yeah about having discussions about this like we are Definitely. now quite open it's like is it okay to ask like you know what do women actually talk about at these events yeah like if you said that in a public forum somebody would have like flamed you like you you sexist like, like, like i can ha- feel the flames coming after this yeah. podcast but yeah. i think that's a really good question to ask it's, it's like it's we want to know like mm. we want to know because like you know equality isn't about women it's mm. about everyone yeah right? and like we have mm. a part to play and we all benefit from it mm. right as much as you do really it's a better society for everybody and i think my general feeling is you know like with any any question you guys could ask me if it's coming from a place of genuinely interested or curious or you think it moves the conversation even if it's poorly worded or if it's clunky it doesn't matter to me it doesn't matter it doesn't Mm. offend me um and there's always a huge difference it's harder to tell online but it's there's if someone's asking a question from a point of learning that's fine but Mm. a lot of these conversations as well you know you have to get used to the concept of being uncomfortable Mm. you know and you know i i don't speak for all women and i certainly don't speak for all minorities but how do you, you know, there are, there are certain things that I could learn as an individual. Mm. And a lot of them, like, you know, when I messaged this guy, he clearly just didn't like, I say being called out, but I messaged him privately, but he didn't like the, the thought that something he was doing mm. wasn't having mm. the effect he imagined it was. And people don't like to hear that about themselves. Yeah, You know, people would rather, you know, react um, aggressively than go well now let me think you know why is this not bringing value what what is it i'm doing and can i just connect that sort of trolling behavior you know we started a lot earlier talking about in um, the issues of imposter syndrome and, mm. and maybe perhaps women feel that more often than men i don't know i'm, I'm getting stats or whatever if we have now social media and trolling is prevalent and it seems to be mm. does that make the fear of imposters and the other comes with imposters even more serious like there's a little bunch of more reasons Basically, if I stick my neck out there and do anything, I'm going to get trolled. I'm going to get criticised. Do you know what I mean? It feels like we're in a very critical kind of time, doesn't it? Yeah, maybe. I mean, it's it's difficult for me because I I sort of understand the theory of imposter syndrome. I've not suffered from it. Mm. Maybe I'm just blindly confident in my own abilities. Um, And and so, but I or truly loved, which is a wonderful thing. Well, well, that would be nice. Yeah. bad as this guy on the forum now just think i'm awesome um so it's hard it's hard for me to know but i i do there there is always a limit you know so i i have a presence on nearly every social media platform but i'm very i i'm very conscious about what i share and don't share Hmm. because well it should just always represent me but what's publicly available and what isn't and this reminds me of not a totally related story but back when i was living in london I used to have an open Facebook page, so nothing was private. I just Mm. used to post everything publicly so anyone in the world could see it. And I thought, I've got nothing to hide. What do I care? 
I'm not doing anything bad. I'm just out having a party, you know, having a few beers, playing shows. I don't care what anyone does. Like, there's nothing on here that can affect me. And then it turned out that the house I was living in, the neighbours next door, didn't like the fact a rocker had moved in. And they were creeping my social profiles and like finding out when my birthday was and you know preemptively checking I wasn't going to have a party and and I, and just wow. all, and I was just like oh even if you don't put anything out there someone can get at you so then yeah. I just I locked everything down and that was like a a nice safe way for me to mm. learn that you know what you can do nothing wrong or put anything that bad out there but you don't know what someone else's intentions are and i i learned this in old media so i was working in this weekly live tv show and mm. we used to get the funniest letters come in i mean it was one of my jobs as a young assistant <laughs> they really were written in green ink this is back in the days of like yeah. when you wrote letters to tv stations and i remember getting this letter from this dude that basically said he discovered the earth's volume control right and it was clearly a conspiracy between like the BBC and the CIA, and unless we cover this on Tomorrow's World, then he was going to blow the whole thing wide open. <laughs> yeah. wow. And I showed this to my, my producer. I said, how shall I respond to this one? And we kind of both laughed. And they said, well, we've got to respond to it because otherwise he's going to like, feed his desperate need for attention and stuff. Yeah. And then we used to have this... Um, we used to have a, um, a vicar that would write these incredibly romantic, like a male vicar that would write these incredibly romantic letters to one of our male presenters, which the presenter thought was actually hilarious. Um, and well, this, I think this just goes to prove there's some there's really some weird people out there. there. They're quite oh. interesting. Yeah. They I, I want to call the Earth Volume <laughs> guy. <laughs> I, I, I kind of want to meet these people. You, well, as a punk yeah. rocker, you want to turn it up to 11, don't you? Well, yeah, yeah, basically. That, yeah, yeah. yeah. Spinal tap, definitely. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what I was going to say was that, you know, when you start a business, you're putting yourself out there and I've I've Mm. got my share of haters out there they'll probably come out in response to this podcast Um, and it's weird isn't it you do something you think hey I'm just doing my thing Mm. and people project onto you the weirdest stuff yeah but I I think I that's that's something else I learned at a very early age which is just that uh, not everyone will like you that's a super mega important life lesson yeah Um, I, I didn't learn that till I was like 27 and and it was you know but just it doesn't you can be the nicest person in the world you can try with everyone there will be some people that don't like you um and the quicker because you are nice well for whatever yeah. reason because you're but good. the the yeah. quicker yeah, yeah often but the the quicker you can learn that you can't win them all yeah. and the quicker yeah. you learn that actually that doesn't matter the and the quicker you move on the the better you'll be as dr zeus said those that matter don't mind, and those that mind don't matter. <laughs> right, we're processing Eternal that. truth. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. and it really was. It was. I think it was the dude who wrote who wrote all the Doctor Zeus books. Yeah, I think have checked Green eggs names. and ham. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, it's the same with like if you think about like um, you know, any any of the rappers or any of the you know social media profiles or even you know Billie Eilish, the musician who's yeah. really famous now. The bigger you get, you know, once you have volume your critical hits critical mass like some of them are going to be people who hate you yeah, yeah. that's that's part of the what the, it's the a sort good of score pop card. culture has you know if people aren't hating you you're yeah. doing something wrong uh, where, yeah where's my haters exactly <laughs> yeah actually that reminds me of um the famous quote courtney love used to have which was she wanted to get so famous that she could be like oh photo shoots i hate them yeah, yeah. you know like, are you there oh. yet no, a photo. I love a photo shoot. <laughs> yeah. We're not famous enough. Yet. No, not That's famous enough. We have to do not something. We have to work harder here. It's true. Now, I remember the day I joined the BBC. This old guy came up to me and he said three pieces of advice. Number one, put something red in your films, which is a very good piece of advice. Second one was, um, do anything, darling, but don't be dull. <laughs> 
<laughs> That's very Oscar Wilde, isn't it? Yeah. And he was like, make him laugh, make him cry. It doesn't really matter as long as you make him feel something. Right, right. And, you know, I think that's true, isn't it? And it so yeah. maybe this stuff is also about boundaries. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I'm, I'm, I suppose I'm saying that because I'm thinking one of the things that you know, when you're an entrepreneur, you you are vulnerable because you are doing something yeah. that hasn't been done for the first time. You're trying to bring together a bunch of people. People project onto you as a boss, you know, mm-hmm. not just not just like you're the person that pays me or but you're also a vehicle for my hopes and dreams i'm thinking not just co-founders but especially yeah. when you get your first employees they start you're my mum, you're my dad you're my mm. big brother you're, the, you're my role it's very complicated isn't it yeah it's it's hard and i you know the the culture that we have is like very open and you know anyone can say they want to go for a coffee with me from like an intern to my co-founder and i want to be as available and um open with the entire team but everyone wants something different and you know even and and it's quite lonely even if you're surrounded by people you like and friends because you ultimately have the pressure that nobody else has so our first interview in this series on female entrepreneurs is margaret manning obe who built a business and she talked about two critical numbers. She talked about getting to 16 employees, which is mm-hmm. where you are right now. Crikey. How about that? Uh-oh. And she said uh, that, you know, beyond, Call it doesn't, Margaret. It doesn't scale. Yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll give you the link to her podcast. Great. She talks about how you have to have a different structure above mm-hmm. 16 people. Um, and then again, 150, the Dunbar number, as it's called by anthropologists. Mm. Um, that seems to be significant. Can you see that the, that open door culture that you've got right now with 16 people, can you scale that? Or what do you see lying ahead? I think you can scale it a bit. Um, and I think uh, especially if I look at one of the one of my favorite like previous CEOs that I'd worked with, Tim Westergren at Pandora, um, never had an office sat open plan and was very accessible when the company was at 800 people. Wow. Um, and that's the kind of boss that I aspire to be. You know, the affection and the admiration he had for the people that worked there. Obviously, I'm sure not without his haters, you know, externally. But to, to just make yourself available and accessible and, you and, and you know, not put yourself, lock yourself up in a, a kind of a concrete office or corner mm. office and, and be the kind of, you know, boss that people want to work with. That's important to me. But being real, maybe. Maybe that's yeah. Part of it. Well, yeah. I, I sh- it would be too exhausting to be anything else. Yeah. I just couldn't keep it up that's for a very this good long. Point. Don't yeah. make two versions of yourself. Yeah. Right? No, no way, no yeah. way. Yeah, it's like it's hard enough. Yeah. Well, you talked about inspiration. I've been incredibly inspired listening Absolutely. to you, Hazel. It's yeah. um, and all of the three women entrepreneurs in this series. Um, and uh, if there's that one message there, keep it real, maybe. Yeah, it's a good message. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Rock and roll. That's my message to the world, to the kids out there. What do you say at the end of your gigs? How do you wrap up a gig? Drop um, the mic. Well, you just, yeah, just drop the mic. Yeah, yeah well, <laughs> just cut usually I'm holding thunk. the guitar so the mic's on the mic do you stand. you smash so the guitar? A, you never done that? Uh, no, that wasn't, that wasn't my vibe. I'm, I'm too, I like them too much, you know, right. um, oh, to respect the instrument. into the, the amp. Like, y- yeah, I, I, I never really got famous enough to sort of have You're the, born disposable, in the wrong era. disposable income to be smashing stuff up. Um, it, well, more just like you just, well, like... Like if I if I was Hazel Savage, the band, I'd be like, "Thank you very much for coming, Hazel Savage. Have a great night." Like, so that's how we should end our podcast at the yeah. end. But done. Signing off. <laughs> Keeping it real. <laughs> Bye, everyone. Thank you for listening to the JFDI podcast. Hope you have enjoyed this episode. 